to the message time today. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the church in Colossia. And uh, so we, we're kind of wrapping up that series. Next time we get together, it'll be Christmas on the horizon. And so we'll be looking at Advent together. Um, but uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's word to the Colossians. It's a, it's a word, it's a sobering word, but also a word of good news, uh, incredible good news. And I, I hope that I can share that heart with you today. We're going to be starting in chapter 1, verse 21. We pick up kind of where we left off last time. This is what Paul writes. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's body, physical body, through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not be moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And we pick up in verse 27. To God's people, God has chosen to make known among the nations the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, come and, and speak to us. Uh, Lord, help us if we haven't. Help us receive your great gift that you died for. And Lord, uh, even if we receive that great gift, help finish what you started so that we may be more perfect in you and may find that way that you want us to live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul today shares with us kind of some, I don't know, some tough news and some good news. He shares where we've been because he knows that sometimes in our life we have to remember where we've been before we can go to be where we need to be. And so uh, this morning we want to kind of journey with him and see where we are with Jesus. So he begins, he says, listen, at one time in the past, for many of us, you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, uh, this is, these are kind of tough words, right? Uh, this picture is a picture of life distant from God. What Paul is sharing with us is the further we wander from the Creator, the more lost we become. Our mind becomes darkened, and in the darkness of our mind, it becomes hostile to goodness, hostile to the Creator, hostile to, 
to things that will bless us. And out of that dark mind, it will lead to dark behaviors. It will lead to evil choices or bad choices, choices that can trap us, choices that can bring us to places of of pain and grief and bitterness and sorrow. Uh, And all this is because we have allowed our life to be carried away from the Creator. The further you and I get from God, the more our life becomes bleak and broken and dark, both in our minds and in our lives. And this reality is something that we all begin with. None of us, none of us are born uh, close to God. We're all born in a self-centered state when we begin. We call this the teaching or the doctrine of original sin. And it's not maybe the most popular thing to preach on or talk about, but it's still just important as it was thousands of years ago, the understanding that, that we are broken and we cannot fix ourselves. I found this article by Paul Stallsworth that I was reading this week in one of the magazines. Paul talks about original sin and its importance even for us today to own up to our brokenness. He says this, original sin is not about living like Adam and Eve. Instead, that downplays the cataclysmic impact of Adam's fall on all of humanity and all of creation. You see, original sin is about the corruption Yes, corruption of every human being. That corruption originates with Adam and Eve, and it is passed on to all of us. That corruption pushes every person far from original righteousness and far from God. That corruption bends our nature, our heart, our mind, and our body toward evil. And that corruption directs us toward evil in a continuing way. This is the picture that Paul is trying to give us a snapshot of. In one verse, being far from God leads to a darkened and closed mind and leads to broken uh, broken living. And so Paul counters that though that's where we started, that doesn't have to be our destiny. Jesus came to give us a different destiny, and that's good news. Verse 27, but now, another way, but here, but today, Jesus has reconciled you, or God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is the good news. Jesus has given everything for you. Jesus has given everything for me. We are all broken. The corruption of our humanity, the self-centeredness, the the greed, the pride, that's, that sickness infects everybody. But the good news is, is that Jesus was willing to give all of himself 
for all of us. He was willing to shed his blood on the cross to make peace with God. He was willing to die a death that was undeserved so that he might reconcile us to God's family. The key word here, the key verb, is that verb reconciled. It means to be completely restored into relationship with God. If the problem is, is that we get so far away from the Creator that we're broken, the solution, the answer is, is to be reconciled so completely that now we are fully the Creator's. We are loved and we are made for Him. And Jesus came and gave all of Himself to accomplish this good purpose. And that is very good news. But He doesn't just stop with a little bit of reconciliation. You know, sometimes I feel like I can be kind of a red-headed stepchild. You ever felt that way, right? Well, maybe, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just barely part of the family. And I don't feel like I ought to belong in the family. I don't feel like I have a place in the family. But Jesus doesn't want us to keep our faith in that kind of place. No, we were made to be presented to the Father as holy, without blemish, free from accusation. Let's look at these words real quickly. The first is the word of the temple. The second is a word of God's offering. And the third is a word of, of the courtroom. The first word is holy. Jesus came to present us holy to the Creator. Holiness is a worship word. It's a temple word. And in ancient Judaism, there was uh, the tabernacle and the temple. And at the core of the temple was, uh, was the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant, right? Anybody seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You kind of remember what that looks like, right? That was in the holy place. And in the Holy of Holies, that's where God would come down to earth and, and be present with his human uh, people, his family, his followers, who were at that time just the Jews. And so to be holy means to be able to move so close to God that we are right there in the midst of the Creator. And in the ancient world, that was a dangerous thing because to look God in the face could kill you because His otherness, His goodness, His love was so great that if we brought into His presence any fallenness, any sin or brokenness, then that would hurt us as well. And so the priests had to go to great lengths. The priests had to be certain people that were called to the task. They had to wash their hands. They had to wash their feet. They had to make sure they were clean on the outside. They had to be anointed with oil to make sure they were consecrated on the outside and inside. They had to wear the right garments. And only after all that and after prayer could they go into the Holy of Holies. And when they got there, they'd often tie a rope around their ankle because just in case... God might zap them and have to drag them out dead, right? And the way they knew they were alive is they had little bells that tinkled at the, the hem of their robes. And the little bells, you know, if the bells quit tinkling, then they know, oh, we, gotta, we may have to pull our rope. 
That's what it means. God wants to make us the kind of people who can be face-to-face with the Creator, who can enter that holy place as His children, His sons and daughters. And Jesus came to bring that holiness for you and for me. Not only that, but he came to carry us to the Father without blemish. The second word is a word of sacrifice. When the ancient people would offer their gifts at the altar, you know, they couldn't bring money and change and checks and all that. They brought animals. They brought grain. And when you brought your animal, you didn't want to bring one that had a lame foot. You didn't want to bring one that was spotted. You wanted one that looked perfect. Because God, you were to give God the very best you could give as thanks for God's blessing. And so God brings us, the Lord Jesus died to bring us to the Father as a perfect lamb, without blemish, consecrated. Jesus brings us before the Father and says, listen, this one is special. I love this one a lot. And I love this one too. The third picture of holiness that we receive is also the picture of the courtroom. Paul says, it's a word that says we're free from accusation. When we go to court and judge, are we righteous or unrighteous? In the very first verse, Paul has said, listen, you were evil, you were unrighteous, but because Jesus died for you, you are now free from accusation. You're forgiven. Your sin is pardoned. Later on in Colossians, he says, it's all nailed to the cross, and the charge against us has been completely canceled in chapter 2. The penalty of sin has been taken away. And we can now live lives free and follow the Lord. In looking at all these things, um, as Wesleyans, we believe that God isn't finished with us yet. He doesn't want us just to kind of barely get there as sons and daughters of God. God wants us to be full sons and daughters. And that means allowing Jesus to work the way of holiness in us. For example, Mother Teresa shares this insight. Mother Teresa shares, Our progress in holiness depends on God and ourselves, on God's grace, and on our will to be holy. We must have a real living determination to reach holiness. So Mother Teresa reminds us that in this quest for holiness that it's totally dependent on God. We're saved by grace. We're made holy. Uh, The word in Christian theology is we're sanctified by grace through faith. It's something that Jesus is doing in us and wants to do in us. That's God's part. But it's also... Mother Teresa says it's our part. We have to hunger for holiness. We have to hunger for wholeness. We have to seek it and allow God's grace to have maximum impact. And so um, the Lord continues to try to help us grow in this way. 
And so um, our, our own Methodist founder, his, his name was John Wesley. Wesley talked about these kinds of things. He talked about being entirely sanctified. He talked about being on the path of holiness. And the, his favorite phrase was a phrase that kind of hits us kind of funny, but his favorite phrase is, is that we are going on to perfection. Did you ever think you could go on to perfection in this life? Most of us say, whoa, there is no way I can go on to perfection. But for Wesley, he believed that God was seeking to present us perfect in Christ. And Paul affirms this in the 28th verse. Did you catch that verse? Where he says, we pro- Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The word fully mature there can also in the Greek be translated perfect or complete. It's when we get to the place we're supposed to be, when we become the person we were really made to be, that's the place of Christian perfection. And so what does that place look like? How are we perfect? Well, in order to become more perfect, this book has a role. Paul says, I became a servant to God to present you the word of God in its fullness. Why would Paul present the word of God? Because it's through being shaped by the word that we get to know Jesus. It's being shaped by the word that we get to know Jesus. And Jesus is at the heart of our faith. Later on, verse 27 that we read earlier, he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the nations the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word leads us to Christ. And Christ, we want to receive the mystery of his presence in us. When we let Jesus live in us, that is the hope of God's glory. We're dwelling in the presence of the creator of the universe. And as we do that, Christ's perfection begins to shape us and mold us into new people. First, Jesus gives us a new mind. We begin to develop the mind of Christ, a mind that is guided by his wisdom and that leads us to do God's will. And so we want the mind of Christ to guide us. Also, we are shaped by the suffering of Christ, that when we embrace his death for us on the cross, we also see our suffering, our struggles, our challenges, especially faith challenges, in a similar light. Paul writes this, he says, listen, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking regarding the Messiah's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. What Paul is talking about here is he's, he's sharing with us where he was. Anybody have a guess where Paul wrote this letter? He was in jail. He was in jail for Jesus, and he was in jail because he also believed that Jesus could change anyone's heart and life. Not just Jewish folks, but 
but Greek folks and Roman folks and African folks and Asian folks and Middle Eastern folks and Native American folks. Paul was in jail because he believed Jesus could change everyone. And so he says, listen, my suffering here in jail is just similar to Jesus' suffering. And so I will keep following him and trusting him. Same is true for us in our hardships, in our challenges, in our sufferings. May we use them to see our deeper connection of Christ in us. And then the third and most important we don't just get Christ's mind. We don't just embrace Christ's suffering. But the third is, we are filled with Christ's love. We're filled with Christ's love. Love filling the heart. Love filling the life. Love for God and love for others. In uh, John Wesley has a little book called The Plain Account of Christian Perfection. If you want to know about how to be a, a, a one who seeks Christian perfection, Wesley wrote this little book about it. I just want to read a small quote here. Uh, he was asked a question, what does perfection mean? This is what he says. He says, we keep perfection just right by keeping to the Bible, setting it as high as Scripture does. It is nothing higher and nothing lower than this. So this is perfection in his eyes. It's the pure love of God and man. It is loving God with all our heart and soul and loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. It is love that governs our heart and our life. It is love that runs through our temperaments, our words, and our actions. Wesley's view of perfection is it's not a perfection from sin as much as it is a perfection of love, that we have the heart so filled with the Holy Spirit's love of us that we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we stay close to him and maintain that close relationship all along the journey, and that we live out that love daily in how we treat our neighbors and how we treat our family and how we treat our friends, how we treat the folks we don't even know, and especially how we treat our enemies. This is the path of perfection. You can, you know, I've seen folks who know the Bible back and forth, up and down, inside and out, and you would think they'd be the greatest followers of Jesus in the world, but yet when, it, when you look for the love of God in their heart and the love of God flowing through their life toward others, it's not there. And if we get to that place, we've missed the whole deal. For instance, uh, I've seen an article, I think it was from Russell Moore. Russell Moore has shared how preachers kind of all over the place have come to him over the last year or so. And they're teaching the teaching of Jesus. They're teaching the Sermon on the Mount. They're teaching be humble. They're teaching be peacemakers. They're teaching, you know, uh, be hungry for the kingdom. They're teaching love your enemies. They're teaching go the extra mile. And the, the, the people in the pews are coming back to them and say, why are you teaching this stuff? This stuff doesn't work anymore. Why are you giving us this? And the preacher's like, this is Jesus. This is what he taught. This is what he says. He says, but it's not working in our culture. You know, our culture is all about getting even and 
double paying the guy who hurt us and you know it's about all those kind of things why are you teaching us this stuff we don't care if jesus taught it or not and if that's people's hearts then you've totally missed the boat right jesus is our guy jesus is god's guy we get to know the creator only through jesus and yet even in the church in our day and age in our divisive times so many people in the church are saying, well, maybe Jesus thought that worked 2,000 years ago, but he really didn't know what it's like today. You want to know why the world has a problem with church? I think that would be it, right? Because that's the main thing. Jesus came to present us perfect in Christ. To give us without blemish, free from accusation. And Jesus and his love is our way. There is one condition to this, though. If this is going to be your way, Paul reminds us you have to keep on keeping that faith. He says in verse 23, if you continue in your faith, stay established and firm, do not move from the hope held out by my gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a servant. He says this, this will be true of your life. Just trust me. Have faith in me. And let the grace of Jesus do the rest. And so I know it's, it's time I want to close this morning. I, I want to close with a, just a little bit of a story. It's a it's perhaps just a little example of this, of kind of going from darkness to light. It's from George MacDonald. Um, and uh, here we go. George MacDonald is a Scottish author who wrote uh, 150 or so years ago. Uh, this is from his book, The Minister's Restoration, and it's a conversation between a husband and wife about how far God has brought them into a new day. And so this is what this is what James the husband says James and Izzy see the loving power at the heart of things Izzy James said to his wife out of evil God has brought good the best good and nothing but the good a good ripened through my sin and selfishness and ambition bringing upon you as well as me disgrace and suffering the evil in me had to come out and show itself before it could be cleared away. From some people, nothing but an earthquake will rouse them from dead sleep. I was one as such. God in his mercy brought on the earthquake to wake me and save me from death. Ignorant people go about always asking, why does God permit evil? Well, we know why. It's so that we might come to know, that is, really know, what good is like, and therefore what God himself is like. It may be that he could, with a word, eliminate evil altogether and cause it to cease. But what would that teach us about good? The word might make us good like an ox or a harmless sheep, would that be a worthy image of him who has made in the image of God? 
No, he says, God chooses to be good, otherwise he would not be God. And men and women, we must choose to be good, otherwise we cannot be sons and daughters of God. God is good, isn't he, James? And so good to us, just think where we might be if he hadn't shown us ourselves even our sin. We might never have known his goodness had it not been for the evil that he dealt with in us. James and Izzy were learning that when we see our bad at its worst, it gives us the opportunity to let it go, to be free from it once and for all, and instead to find God at his best. And that goodness nothing can replace because it shapes us, it perfects us in holiness without blemish, free from accusation. Paul writes in the very last verse, this has been my message. This is what I've been sharing with people over and over and over again. This is, this is why I do ministry. And I can affirm that with Paul. Why I do what I do, my hope for you and for all of us, is that we don't miss out on our Father's best. And so all my teaching, all my preaching, I hope is after the same spirit in Paul, that we might not miss out on God's best because we were made for more. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, may his grace help you 